entering the Freedom Hut. The Department of Justice's IG report on FISA abuse comes out today. Impeachment closing arguments on Capitol Hill. The Afghanistan papers lying about the border and banning porn. That and more coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you very much for being here. It's uh, quite a day in the swamp, quite a day in D.C., up on Capitol Hill and down right near where I used to live, actually, at the Department of Justice. Uh, You have a bunch of major political stories that are playing out today. Um, Let's first start with my and as I go to air here, we are a little bit ahead of the Inspector General report release. So here's my preview. Here's what I think is going to be in the Inspector General reports. So this will be fun because we may actually have this. I, I can fact check myself later on in the show and see if I if I am correct. Um, but I have a sense of how these things tend to go. And those of you who listen to the show know I also tend to be right, which is fun. Uh, here's my preview of the IG report. They're going to say things like the following in it. There were some irregularities and insufficient vetting procedures. The Steele dossier played a big role. They need to review best practices and set up a commission. No systemic bias or criminal conspiracy, however. Bottom line, the takeaway, bureaucrats always protect the institution. That is what they do. Even ones who do not necessarily have a partisan or deeply ideological motive in the sense of Democrat versus Republican. They protect the institution because they believe in it, because they work for it. Remember, this is an internal inspector general report. This is somebody from within the institution itself. You know, this is the DOJ being told to go wash their own laundry. And what a surprise. They'll say, sure, there were some minor, some minor grass stains, a bit of ketchup, a little mustard, but No real problem here. There's nothing. The garment is not ruined, if you will. I know I'm belaboring this analogy, but you understand what I mean. There's no way that they will view this as a systemic risk, a systemic problem. Keep in mind, this is my prediction. I'm going I'm going hard on a prediction early, early on here in the day because I'm very confident that that's the case. There will not be. Uh, Any specific disciplinary measures, except perhaps for the individual who was a lawyer who worked for DOJ, who allegedly changed some of the information in one of the uh, emails presented to the FISA court. But there'll be nothing severe. There'll be nothing all that serious. I want to ask you this, though, and this will be the case no matter what is presented in this inspector general report. Why would an FBI agent mislead the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court, the secret court that allows for spying on individuals, violating regulations, risking his career and and reputation, unless there were some really compelling ideological motive behind it. The problem we have come across here many times is that there's always the ability when you're discussing things like bias and abuse of power Within the government bureaucracy, particularly, you can always just say, well, mistakes were made, but they were just human errors. 
Nobody really sought to do anything to derail a presidency here. You know, there was no criminal conspiracy. There's no deep state. There's just hardworking bureaucrats who sometimes make errors. This is a storyline you've probably heard before. This will remind you of other things you've been told. Journalists, for example, say this. They say this about all the mistakes they have made, particularly about the Trump administration. They say, well, when we get a story wrong, it's not that it's fake news. It's not that we think that we should be telling the public things that are damaging about this president because that's our real duty. It's just we made a mistake, man. It happens. Except all the mistakes go in the same direction. They're anti-Trump. How many stories have had to be retracted that were in any way positive or perhaps provided some degree of exoneration or explanation for President Trump? I think you all know the answer to that. So the journalists tell us that the motives behind their fake news, uh, are the, the motive behind the fake news is not that they hate Trump. It's that people make mistakes, that there are errors that occur. Okay. And then beyond that, you could look at, we may never know the motive in terrorist cases. Now, that tends to be the media line only when it involves Islamist or jihadist terror or in the rare but still very real occurrence of a left-wing radical who, say, tries to engage in a mass assassination of members of Congress on a baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia, not long ago. We may never know the killer's motives, they will say. And we never really find out. Even in situations like the Pulse nightclub shooting, where you had an individual who was calling in to the FBI and saying, this is why I am doing this. Here are my motives. Well, but we may never. Maybe those aren't his motives. Maybe he's trying to mislead us. You can play this game all day long. You can play the we'll never know the real motive dodge as long as you want. Why would an FBI agent risk his career, his reputation or a DOJ official or any of the above to get a FISA warrant against somebody in the Trump campaign unless they were ideologically inclined to do so? They will not have a real answer for you about this. They will not be able to tell you why this is the case. They'll just say that mistakes happened, mistakes were made. But they, all the mistakes that were made in this process that resulted, by the way, in the firing of James Comey, who should have been fired, even Rod Rosenstein agreed with that one, uh, resulted in Peter Strzok being fired and losing his job, Andy McCabe being fired and losing his job, with fired for cause, by the way, not fired because the president just wanted a better person in the role. Um, Lisa Page demoted and removed from a, a, a certain team within the FBI. And also you have uh, Bruce Orr, I believe, removed from one of the cases he was on. I mean, people that are there are sanctions being taken against individuals at the very highest level of the DOJ and the FBI. Not a single one of those people is anything other than an anti-Trump partisan. It's very obvious from their text messages. See, see we know what they think and we know at some level what's in their hearts when it comes to this president. That's already been established. But then when they take actions that are only able to be explained based upon that motivation that you would take from somebody hating President Trump, they say, oh, but there's no bias. We went through this in a different direction with the Hillary Clinton email investigation. At every step of that process, Hillary Clinton 
was given tremendous latitude, soft glove treatment. Nobody really wanted to push too hard. Nobody wanted to find out too much. Let her lawyer, who's also a witness, sit in on the deposition. Don't try to ask any tough questions. Don't try to trip her up into lying under oath. I mean, none of this. And all of the people involved in that, by the way, at the highest level, were the same people involved in laundering the Steele dossier to get a FISA warrant against the Trump campaign, pretending that some rumint, rumor intelligence, some chatter in a bar in the UK with George Papadopoulos, who nobody had heard of before that moment, that that's enough to get a full field investigation open, spending who knows how many tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars just in the first you know, opening weeks, sending FBI agents on this, overtime, travel, man hours, all this, based on something that some foreigner said, one of the Trump campaign's low-level staffers said, which, by the way, was a rumor that was flying all over the place on the Internet. I mean, this would be like someone saying, hey, I heard this guy say that Epstein didn't kill himself. He must have inside information about that, so we better investigate him. Lots of people are saying Epstein didn't kill himself. In fact, the $150,000 banana duct tape to a wall down at Art Basil. Basil, my bad, whatever. Close enough. Uh, That was replaced by somebody writing on the wall, Epstein didn't kill himself. I don't think that the person who wrote Epstein didn't kill himself had inside information. But if you're willing to pretend to be stupid because you want a certain outcome, there's a lot of pretext that you can use. The problem that we're seeing isn't just that law enforcement at the highest level of the federal government was used as a weapon against one political party, the Republican Party and President Donald Trump. What we are seeing is that just as the media bias that existed for so many decades was a result of people in the media and at the highest level believing that they weren't biased, they were just presenting the truth. They're not Democrats. They just always somehow think Democrats are right. You have this now with senior law enforcement officials who believe that the system and the apparatus And the people who are the experts, whether it's on Ukraine policy and the State Department officials who are testifying there or FBI, DOJ folks who believe that Donald Trump is some grave risk to the Constitution, they think that their judgment on those matters is more important than the good faith execution of the laws and the usage of the powers they are given by the American people. Powers, by the way, that actually, once the people have given them to the executive branch, emanate from the top down, from the president on through this notion of a hashtag resistance from within the executive branch should be deeply troubling to anybody who really believes in our system of government. But people just think orange man bad. They hate Donald Trump so much that nothing else matters. And in fact, you're seeing that play out right now on Capitol Hill, and you will be seeing this in the inspector general report. Do not expect the bureaucracy to clean itself up. It will not happen. I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you in advance of when that inspector general report has come out. We all know it's going to be just uh, a few moments, really, I think, before this is out and about in the world and everybody can read it. And I will read it as quickly as I can. I think the chances that I will have to dramatically amend anything that I've told you are very slim. So we shall see how Buck's powers of prognostication play out. Um, We shall also see how the impeachment proceeding plays out. 
Before I had the great honor of being a counsel for this committee, my young son asked me a question. He said, Dad, does the president have to be a good person? Like many questions by young children, it had a certain clarity, but it was hard to answer. I said, son, it is not a requirement that the president be a good person, but that is the hope. That is Barry Burke, who was on Capitol Hill this morning as I was uh, washing down some Black Rifle coffee, delicious stuff, and getting my day going. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this guy and I thought, you got to be kidding me. They're really going to do this thing where they say, you know, my child asked me that, you know, daddy, why is it that the Republicans are not respecting the separation of powers as as evidenced by Section 17 underscore three of the United States Criminal Code as as shown by Adam Schiff in a hearing, daddy? I just want to know. Why do they keep using kids as props? Democrats, stop doing this. Kids are great, especially your kids, those of you who are watching or listening to this. I don't care what kids say about politics. There's a reason why parents are in charge of children and make decisions for them. Everything from what time to go to bed to what to eat to whether they've had too much ice cream. The correct answer is there's never really too much ice cream, is there, Producer Brandon? But whether it's the elevation of Greta Thunberg as this apocalyptic cult figure, which is what has happened in the world, and it's appalling, and people who believe in this are not very smart, they are not wise, they are not knowledgeable, they do not have any sense of history or judgment, but there's lots of them, millions and millions of them, and some of them are multimillionaires who work in the media getting paid a lot of money to be propagandist idiots. But then you also just have this Democrat. It's a it's a trope. It's a meme. It's the it's something that can't seem to stop. They can't settle this down. My seven year old asked me, Daddy, why does the president speak in the American vernacular in such a way that there's salty language emanating from his lips when really we know the founding fathers believe that virtue in a leader is essential? I'm pretty sure your six-year-old didn't say that, Lib. Like, stop lying. They do this all the time. Not only are they lying about the conversation. I mean, this is the classic. This is like the old Tom Friedman thing. I had a cab driver who said, you know, jihadists go all the way, whereas moderates only go half the way. You know what I mean? This is the, uh, the, the creation of people say or sources, right, to make it seem like the narrative is emanating from somebody other than the author, other than... The writer. And so we have to sit around and pretend that there is some honesty and some truth in this. And we all know it's absurd. And beyond the absurdity of the falsifying of these discussions, which happens routinely. And liberals are the ones who do this. I do not see conservatives ever say, you know, my 10-year-old was waxing philosophical on the impeachment process and really struck a nugget of wisdom. I mean, no. I don't. Libs, listen to me. I don't care what your kids think about Trump or politics. There's a reason why they can't vote. There's a reason why you get to tell them when it's time to turn off the cartoons and go to sleep. And this is why their obsession, though, with with presenting their ideas through vessels that cannot be attacked 
without the attacker being a bad person. Using either youth or victimhood as a shield for ideas that are just flimsy, stupid, and should be rejected. Whether it's David Hogg, who's an adult now, so we can say whatever the heck we want, or Greta Thunberg, who's 16, so we still have to be, you know, okay, maybe, you know, we can refer to the idiot adults that follow her around like some kind of end of the world Dalai Lama. And, and now you have this. This is a guy who's uh, counsel for the Democrats. Uh, it's hard to believe that they really think that this is an important way to spend the American people's time. But they're making these closing arguments. And they have this uh, MSNBC lawyer who's a clown and a jerk. Uh, and they have this other guy, Berkey or Burke or whatever. And he doesn't know anything about anything. And here we are. Here we are. Being told the same things we've been told for weeks. I, I, this is, I try so hard not to waste any more of your time on the impeachment situation than we have to. But we are being dragged through this. I mean, as a country, we are being forced to endure this silliness. And it's also deeply troubling. I mean, it's troubling that Democrats uh, saw Nancy Pelosi's histrionics last week. And there were people writing editorials about how. That was a powerful moment. I think the so-called conservative for the New York Times, David Brooks, Nancy Pelosi's I don't hate him moment and the power of it. Nancy Pelosi has zero principles that are in line with any traditional Christian teaching. Nancy Pelosi's a fraud. But all Democrats like the like the pretense that she's a she's such a good Christian. She would never hate Trump. Who can believe this? I want to be absolutely clear. The integrity of our next election is at stake. Nothing could be more urgent. The president welcomed foreign interference in our elections in 2016. He demanded it for 2020. Then he got caught. They're already doing it, friends. Preparing for Trump to win in 2020 and preparing the excuse for why he won. They're letting you know right now that they have no intention of accepting the 2020 election results. And here's the fun part. They're also going to claim that while they're doing that, Trump has no intention of accepting the 2020 results. So they will accuse him of doing the exact thing that they are themselves in fact doing. This is what the libs love to do. This is what you're seeing from Nadler. This makes liberals feel better about things because no matter what happens, Donald Trump didn't really win that election in 2016 and he won't really win that election in 2020. It's not possible. You see, it's already tainted because of his request to get information uh, from a foreign counterpart about an area where there is, in fact, very real concern about corruption. This has been a battle of narrative and framing of an issue, dishonestly framing an issue when we're talking about the way the Democrats have done it from the very start. For example, oh, and just in case you were wondering, um, I have to take a pause on the framing issue because I want to point this out to you. Jerry Nadler's really talking about the 2020. I mean, this is a, a common theme now. 
that impeachment is necessary for the 2020 election. This is what the Democrats are telling you. Unless this president is impeached and one would think removed from office. Remember, impeachment is not their goal, at least from a process perspective. They are voting for impeachment. Every Democrat in the House who casts a vote for impeachment is saying the president of the United States should be removed from office. So the only way for these House Democrats to believe the only thing that they can tell the public that would justify calling the 2020 election free and fair would have to require the removal of this president from office. If you extend this to its logical ends, what they're telling you is there is no way for there to be a fair election in 2020 if Donald Trump is allowed to run. He's already requested that foreign interference, they say. He's already gotten foreign interference in 2016 from Russia. And therefore, running as an incumbent is an unfair advantage that he never should have had in the first place. This is where we are, my friends. We see it all coming. I feel like I should just sit here. We should create some kind of a a backdrop or a chart of what the Democrat war game is for 2020, because it's not hard to see what's coming. It's not hard to see how they're going to lay all of this out. Producer Brandon, would you please play Jerry Nadler and Chuck Todd? Clip two here. I don't know. The president, uh, based on his past performance, will do everything he can to make it not a fair election. And that is part of what gives us the urgency uh, to proceed with this impeachment. The president will make sure it's not a fair election. That's why we have to impeach him. This is now the ranking member on Judiciary Committee involved in the sham hoax garbage impeachment of this president, destroying in so many ways, centuries of understanding of constitution of the Constitution and of the system that we have and what should rise to this level. Remember, there was no question about what Bill Clinton did. Bill Clinton did did stuff that was illegal, committed a felony felony. That's what he did. So, I mean, you could say that you want to ignore the felony, but it's not like they had to manufacture something. It wasn't hard. Uh, But here we are with Jerry Nadler telling you. And I I want you to understand that this is not exaggerating their case or making it seem like they're crazier than they are. This is the reality. Jerry Nadler is telling you that the president of the United States must be impeached and therefore should be removed because you don't vote for impeachment. You vote for censure in in the House if you want to just say, bad boy, you've been naughty. The president of the United States must be impeached and removed from office because he has already told us that the 2020 election won't be free and fair. The 2020 election will not be legitimate. Now, there's understandable reason for the Democrats to be worried about the 2020 election. The people that they are putting forward are clowns. They are ridiculous. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. It was all fun and games for the left wing loons to talk about free this and free that and free everything. But then when you see Sanders and Warren and these other individuals held up to even the most minute scrutiny, they fold because of math and reality, which are difficult things to overcome. Not impossible, as we've seen in so many immiserated socialist societies all over the world. I think immiserated is a word. Am I pulling a Don Lemon by not knowing if the word is a word? I don't know. I think immiserated is a word. If it is, it's a cool word. And that I just introduced to everybody here on the show. Sometimes it just comes flying out of the brain, Producer Brandon. You know, I don't even know. Because I just read stuff and then it gets stuck up here. 
And that's why people like to make, occasionally I say a word that I've never heard, but I've read and I know what it means. And then it'll just come out of my mouth. And they're like, that's not how you say it. Well, okay. I learn as I go. The illegitimacy of the 2020 election, though, my friends, this is where we're heading. This is what we're heading toward. They will not accept it. And they're terrified that Trump is going to win. The economy right now is so good that if you told me that this was going to be the state of the modern American economic system for the foreseeable future, like for the rest of my life, if you're going to tell me that we're going to have this level of wage growth, this level of unemployment, the, the stock market where it is right now, which please don't listen to this, the, the silly Democrat talking point about how only 20% of people or 15% of people are invested in the stock market. You, if you have a job, if you work for a company, if you own a home, the market affects all of these things. All right. Remember 2008? Did things feel good? Did you feel good in your job, even if you own not a single share of stock? No, because there was economic catastrophe unfolding. And they always tell you it's because of Wall Street greed. Wall Street greed played a role in that. But the truth is that government regulation, mostly for the purpose of social justice, created that was the underlying foundational issue within the housing market and a, and a bipartisan desire to put as many Americans in homes as possible, even if they couldn't afford them. But that is, in fact, another conversation for another time. Um, we have learned nothing new in the last two weeks about any of this impeachment stuff, which is pretty amazing. Um, oh, but I, I wanted to I wanted to take issue with this point that you keep hearing that the facts are not in dispute. There's one there's a there's a phrase or a, a version of a phrase that you keep hearing in order to justify the sham that the Democrats are putting this president through after my friends after a two year long special counsel investigation that was just a get Trump operation run by wild eyed partisan Democrats who, if they could, would have prosecuted the president's children, would have put his senior advisors in prison. I mean, these people wanted to go all in against Trump and they did everything they could to tear down his presidency, to ruin him, to ruin his advisors. They sent 30 people with long guns in SWAT gear to go arrest Roger Stone for like making a Twitter quip and lying about it. I mean, it's just it's it's an absurd police state, tyrannical crap from these liberals. And they had two years of the special counsel tearing the president. Didn't work because Trump. And look, I understand he's not perfect. There are things about this president that, you know, I wish would change a little bit, although he did retweet yours truly this morning. Boom. But he's amazing in many ways, too. And his ability to endure and stare down this machinery of the establishment and never Trump and the psycho left is superhuman. It is his superpower. I don't know how anybody else could do this. I don't know how they could have their family in jeopardy. That's why people say, oh, Buck, but they'll, he could always pardon them. Well, not if it's state crimes, by the way. His family members have no immunity. I mean, if they could go after one of his kids, you know they would. If they could lock anybody, they turned his lawyer against him. They went through his lawyer's files. That's ra- That's so rare. It's not that it never happens, but how much more scorched earth can they get? They go, they grab President Trump's lawyer's uh, own files. They flip the guy against Trump. And guess what? His own lawyer had, didn't have the goods on him. They keep doing everything. They keep they keep ripping the top off of this and saying, aha, now we've got you. And there's nothing there. What, what, are the, what do you mean? Nothing happened. He didn't do anything. 
They keep trying. And I have to wonder, at what point do they get so desperate that they just entirely manufacture something uh, out of whole cloth against the president? They just they just make they fabricate something. And I'm not saying that has happened yet, although we're getting pretty close. But I wouldn't be surprised if that happened at some point. Be. Oh, no, that, the, the media is above that. Oh, you mean like when Dan Rather used fake National Guard documents to throw a presidency? Oh, Buck, he didn't know. Maybe he didn't want to know. That would be in keeping with what we see from the libs. Circling back, though, for a moment to this, uh, to the narrative, to the, the, the beating heart of the impeachment charade, right? There's the center of it right now. On Ukraine. Keep in mind, now they're going to throw in Russia. And I told you they were going to do this. They're going to have to bolster the case. But you have to wonder, if there are articles of impeachment that relate to Russia, why didn't they just file those right away after the, after the Russia report? Why do you have to wait for Ukraine, too? Because it was a weak case. We all know this. If you have a strong case, if you have somebody nailed on a charge, right? if someone, if you've got somebody on, you know, Money laundering charges. You know, you don't you don't sit around and, and wait on the money laundering charge until you also get them on a parking ticket, right? So why why did they sit on Russia if that was a serious? Because it's not. But here's the beating heart of the Ukraine issue. Here's what they tell you that the president uh, used his power for personal gain, and that he solicited foreign interference in an election. Um, by and this is what really drives me insane by asking or by by demanding dirt on his political rival. You see, that is a false narrative that is baked into all of this that is at the very basis of what we're seeing happening, because what the president did is said, can you get answers for me about something that is a legitimate line of inquiry for a president of the United States executing his function as the chief of the executive branch. That's it. He's allowed to ask a foreign counterpart. Joe Biden does not have special immunity from investigation because Democrats want to put that, you know, crazy old malarkey express guy. And I couldn't think of anything to do with malarkey there, but uh, Democrats think that he's their best chance to win the presidency. But there's no special statute. And by the way, there's no ethical guide that says that you can investigate Joe Biden. So that's why here, this is where Representative Mark Meadows, he's taking the buck line, more conservatives, more Republicans. Listen to me. Stop with the quid pro quo. And, you know, no, that, that, that's ten, tangential. The, the key here is that he was allowed to make that ask and the ask was not illicit. Please play clip four. Well, one, he didn't do that. I I don't uh, agree with your premise. He talked about investigations. If you look at the the transcript, uh, I think he said, will you do us a favor uh, based on the United States going through a lot, talking about 2016 elections? He's allowed to ask for the information. I've told you what my red line would be here. They are acting as though the president demanded the production of false information to smear a political rival when he asked for clarity on a legitimately reported on issue that anybody should start to ask the question, does anyone think that Hunter Biden's situation there was okay? This is the this is the hill Democrats are going to stand on and defend. 
Hunter Biden getting $50,000 a month while his dad is running policy in that country. No one thinks that that's just abjectly disgusting. Of course it is. Do you see any outrage being expressed about that, though, in the media? Any of any of the the absolute frauds at CNN, do they show any disgust or disdain over that? No, he did nothing wrong. They say nothing. No, no, that's that's not true. What he did may not have been criminal. We don't know because there has not been a thorough investigation to the standards of the current administration. And they're allowed to make the ask. I'm glad that Mark Meadows gets it. I, I'm very frustrated with all these people with the quid pro quo, quid pro quo. Don't, don't play the game the Democrats are playing. Play the reality game. We have a very locked solid case. I think the case we have, if presented to a jury, would be a guilty verdict in about three minutes flat. Um, and, you know, all this nonsense about uh, hearsay evidence, there's, there is considerable direct evidence. He got a guilty verdict in three minutes flat. Notice how he didn't say about what. And when he says things like guilty verdict, that sounds like a criminal trial. There's no crime. There's there's no crime. They could even charge. The president did not break the law. They don't like what he did. That's not the same thing. This would be like saying, yes, we could prove to a jury. We could get a jury to understand that Friends is a better show than Seinfeld. Producer Brandon disagrees, but that's okay because producer Brandon is wrong sometimes. That's not something that you could prove one way or the other. It does not matter. It's not a crime. It's not about what the jury would decide because you haven't even alleged that there has been a violation of law. What is the violation of law here? They changed every day with what the the bumper sticker version of what Trump did wrong was supposed to be. Remember, my favorite was that it was a campaign finance violation. They saw, what did we try before? What did our little lackeys at MSNBC and CNN, the Washington Post, the New York Times, all of which are hashtag resistance media organizations, uh, what did they put forward as the initial reason why Trump should be impeached? Oh, that's right. A campaign finance violation. That's why they, that, and that's what they tried to go with because it was to make an ask about something where you got no information in return and you're interacting with the foreign co- counterpart, uh, you, you have a thing of value. I mean, this is, this is something that a, a first-year law student might try to make a case about and would be laughed out of the room by anybody, not even with a law degree, just anybody who's not a complete imbecile. And that was what they were going with. And then it was, and then it was uh, you know, bribery and extortion and abuse of power. And, you know, they, they just keep changing and shifting all the time. They really just hate this president and they have a psychosis and they refuse to deal with that constructively. So what they do instead is they drag America through their psychosis, also known as this impeachment proceeding. It is... Absurd. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. They are federally certified as a veteran owned small business and they are headquartered in Chicago with offices throughout the nation. Their risk mitigation experts work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100 companies. So for all of your background check needs, call Global Verification Network. No data or client information is ever offshored, and all of their employees are located here in the United States. Keep it all here at home in the U.S. and go with a veteran-owned and operated company for all of your background check needs. 
Global Verification Network. Call 877-695-1179. Again, that's 877-695-1179. Or go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. Global Verification Network. Leave no stone unturned. They're calling it the Afghanistan Papers. An obvious nod to the Pentagon Papers published decades ago that showed an effort to lie, um, lie to the American people about the truth of what was going on in Vietnam. There's a bit more to dig into here about Afghanistan. Uh, It's not quite as clear as just there were uh, people lying about this, although I think there were a lot of people who were certainly dishonest about this. Um, There were people who weren't willing to do what they are supposed to do in these circumstances, particularly in the higher up in the military chain of command. Speak truth to power. Tell the commander in chief. Tell the four star what's really happening in Afghanistan. Uh, I, I hate to be the one to say this, and there are many others who could claim the same. I've been right about Afghanistan for over a decade now because I've been saying the chance of us accomplishing the mission, and really the mission is an ever-changing series of submissions of other things that we said we would not do, but then we find ourselves doing anyway. Uh, turns out that the mission um, was not possible to accomplish and it was not going to happen. The uh, Washington Post main headline is at war with the truth. U.S. officials constantly said they're making progress. They were not and they knew it. Now, this is where you're going to have judgment come into play about different individuals involved here. They will all say, well, even if I had my personal misgivings, I felt like we were achieving some of the benchmarks. They would find benchmarks to justify what it is they were doing. I mean, there were some stunning admissions in this. And this was through a FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act request, where there was access to a review of, here's what it is, a confidential trove of government documents obtained by the Washington Post reveals that senior U.S. officials failed to tell the truth about the war in Afghanistan throughout the 18-year campaign, making rosy pronouncements they knew to be false and hiding unmistakable evidence the war had become unwinnable. The documents were generated by a federal project examining the root failures of the longest armed conflict in U.S. history. They include more than 2,000 pages of previously unpublished notes of interviews with people who played a direct role in the war, from generals and diplomats to aid workers and Afghan officials. I was in Afghanistan... Uh, a decade ago and everything that they're talking about in this and some of it is from some of the documents and the time periods they discuss are from when I was in country Uh, nothing has really changed in fact if anything has changed it's that things have gotten substantially worse Um, one identified unidentified contractor told government interviewers he was expected to dole out $3 million daily for projects in a single Afghan district roughly the size of a U.S. county. He once asked a visiting congressman whether the lawmaker could responsibly spend that kind of money back home. He said, hell no. Well, sir, that's what you just obligated us to spend, and I'm doing it for communities that live in mud huts 
with no windows. Here's another sense of just exactly what our remember this is the this is the elites this is the intelligence community's best the smartest minds in the military the most brilliant politicians we've had multiple administrations both parties in control at different times this is what they deliver to us with the most wealthy machinery of uh, nation rebuilding uh, the most incredible military in the history of the world what do they deliver to us a quagmire. That is what Afghanistan has become. We're just barely holding it together. We have all of our fingers and toes in the cracks in the dam, hoping the whole thing just doesn't come down on us. And nobody in power was willing to say this while they were in power. People won't tell tell the truth about this. You want to get that extra star on the shoulder? Got to say that we accomplished the mission. You want to tell the families of those, the Over 2,000 Americans who died in this war, you want to tell them that they were fighting for something that people can understand what the goal is? I understand that feeling, but guess what? There were other families out there who could still lose loved ones. And there were many families who lost loved ones after it was clear that this was not a winnable mission, not a winnable war. Where was everyone on this? Where were the people who were entrusted with the lives of our bravest Americans, men and women in uniform, serving in that country? They weren't going to turn the corner. They weren't showing durable progress. Look, I had a, I had a TS clearance. I used to see all the different assessments, all the different ways. Uh, I could read everything the military was putting out. I could read everything the State Department was putting out. I had meetings with all those folks, SF folks, State Department folks, you know, JSOC people, Intel people, everybody. Nobody had nobody had a real plan to make this thing work. Afghanistan, one of the smartest guys that I knew on the issue told me was you have to from an infrastructure and civil society perspective is a hundred years behind Pakistan. This is what the guy told me. You you have to say once you understand that, now you understand uh, where is this country really in the in the hierarchy, in the grand scheme of things of turning things around and becoming a stable democracy that can defend itself. And the mission kept changing. Oh, is it women's rights? Is it education? Is it you know, creating durable institutions? Is it, you know, and everyone can always point to little bits of progress. Well, it's not hard to have little bits of progress to point to when you do the following. The United States, according to these Afghanistan papers, allocated 133 billion dollars on reconstruction that's not paying our soldiers and no on reconstruction efforts in afghanistan 133 billion dollars which is more when you adjust for inflation than we spent to revive all of western europe with the marshall plan after world war ii it's because there is really no central government to speak of no worthwhile central government in Afghanistan. There is no tradition of successful central governance. There is no desire for many of the people in Afghanistan to live under a true central government. It is a tribal society. It is a society that is riven with internal conflicts. And you have vast swaths of the country, you have huge portions of the population that cannot read that have no access to electricity 
or running water. And we think what? We spend $50 million to build a cinder block school here and there, and all of a sudden this place is going to have some semblance of civil society. All of the decades of violence and Islamism and jihadization and the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and Pakistan and the ISI playing a double game against us, that that was going to, we were going to overcome all of that. One other part of this that you have to read between the lines a little bit because the media is not going to present it this way. The Obama administration was disastrous in its decision making in Afghanistan. How many Americans even know that a vast majority of U.S. killed in action and wounded in that country occurred while Obama was president? Not after 9-11, not the Bush administration, not all the stuff about Bush and his warmongering. And oh, no, it was the Obama administration. And why did President Obama, who knew nothing about foreign policy or the military when he was commander in chief? People might say President Trump didn't have any background in those things either, to which I would point out, yeah, but Trump has better instincts about the reality of the world that he lives in, the truth of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, especially in the war on terror. Doesn't think the Iranians are somebody that we're going to just bring to our side anytime soon. And also is willing to empower generals to make decisions on the ground in a way that Obama was not. All kinds of constraints, rules of engagement, uh, uh, issues that the Obama administration put in place because there was always the primary concern of the way they were fighting the war in Afghanistan was how does this reflect on Obama and his presidency? So we took a lot of casualties. We had a surge of over 100,000 U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Do you know what they accomplished, what they gained now that we can look back at this? And we need to be honest about this as a country. People just can't always say, no, but we have to honor the sacrifice of those who fought there by by pretending that that things are going differently in that country than they are. No, that doesn't honor their sacrifice. In fact, those who fought and died for this country because they were trying to accomplish the mission, we owe them the honesty of looking at their sacrifice and saying, how do we prevent more U.S. soldiers from dying in a war that we cannot and will not win? Where was the honesty? We have this massive multi-billion dollar media apparatus in this country. We had men and women in harm's way. We were taking casualties. We had the Marines in Helmand province. We had U.S. military surging in and around Kandahar, fighting against the Taliban, taking, taking the fight to them, walking around in fields reminiscent of some earlier conflicts where we've had problems in the 20th century, trying to patrol, trying to find the bad guys. Who are the bad guys? We don't even know. What side is supposed to win when all's said and done? What's the economy going to look like? There are still estimates that upwards of 80% of global opium production still occurs in Afghanistan. Do you know who controls all that production, by the way? The Taliban. So you know who has access to ready cash inside that country and can work with and pay farmers much more than they would doing anything else? The Taliban. You know what the uh, American and British and other NATO allies, you know what our plan was for dealing with the opium crop in Afghanistan? I remember this. This is a problem from when I was there. We uh, initially tried to buy the crop from them and burn it. And then we realized that that just encouraged them to have more opium because we were buying it from them. So then we just showed up and burned it. 
Then we just had a program of eradication of the cultivation of the poppy plant. And do you know what that did? That turned more people toward the Taliban. Because they just care about feeding their families. They don't care where this opium goes. They don't care where the plants they're growing, who ends up using it in you know, nightclubs in Europe or in America or wherever. They, they could care less. How are we ever going to win this thing? How are we going to win it when we're training a military that we keep? And this was one of the places where there was the most dishonesty. Because I remember reading the reports about the Afghan military and their capability and their readiness. Remember what I told you? They can't read overwhelmingly. Even many of the officers can't read. How do you keep lists of troops? How, how do you know who's showing up for, uh, who's showing up for duty? If you can't, I mean, you're going to remember everyone's names? You've got hundreds and hundreds of so You're going to just know? How do you do uh, logistics? How do you, uh, if you don't have requisition forms, how do you know how much equipment you need? How can you do intelligence work? Uh, that's going to be really hard. Can't write anything down. I guess you got to remember everything. How do you transmit information? Then you add to it, by the way, the opium crop. The concerns about the amount of uh, uh, Taliban infiltrators of our, our military and police training programs in Afghanistan. And that's where we also have these green on blue violence incidents where they just they have an infiltrator who kills one of our people, goes after one of our or, or sometimes kills several of them at once. But also, there's a lot of them that are just feeding information back to the Taliban that we don't even know about. And then you have all the opium addicts who are signing up for the military. You have all the uh, more senior figures, uh, village elder types who are taking uh, large sums of money from the United States for ghost soldiers, who people that are supposed to be there but never actually show up, but they're still getting the salaries for them. This has been the case for over a decade. And not a, the only thing that we've been able to figure out is draw down our presence so that we're not taking daily casualties and we're letting the Afghans try to run things. Right now, Afghanistan is more deeply in the Taliban's hands than at any time since 9-11. How many of you even see that on the news or on TV? Taliban's just waiting. We're negotiating with them. They're just waiting for us to say, okay, great. We've negotiated our exit. We're going to go now. And I know Trump visited on, on um, Thanksgiving Day. This doesn't change the basic reality, which is that we have, we have no plan other than stay forever and just hope that the whole thing doesn't collapse. And that's not really a plan. Now, once you start to look at the way that this has played out in Afghanistan, I think it's worth noting, this is why some of us look at Syria and say, no, we're not, we're not keeping 2,000 troops there. We're not, we're not going to do this again. We're not going to keep making the same mistake of putting troops in an active combat zone where they're not there to fight and engage the enemy so much as they're there as some kind of stabilization peace presence in a country that's not at peace. This isn't South Korea. This isn't Japan. This isn't Germany. These are places where the realities on the ground are constantly changing, where conflict is a way of life. It's not going to change anytime soon. All of these things, everything I've read, I read the, uh, the Post's coverage of it this morning. And yes, there's a culture and it's a culture that exists in the military that I'm not familiar with because I didn't serve in the military, but I am familiar with it from serving in the CIA, where everybody wants to say that they're doing a good job. There's a lot of self-assessment that goes into these uh, reviews. And there's a lot of careerism. It's very easy to justify to yourself. Why did we spend all this money? Why did we send so many people? Why was I in Afghanistan? What was the purpose of all this? What were we doing there? Very easy to tell yourself, oh, no, it's the mission. 
What's the mission? Well, I never really asked that question. We're just there for the mission. We're there because we're there and we're told that that's what we have to do. And there should be no questions beyond that. Now, I'm not talking about the day to day of soldiers needing to protect themselves, protect their men and women in uniform and, and work with their local allies on the ground. I mean, that's at the tactical level. I mean, at the strategic, at the 30,000 foot level. Why are we there? What are we doing? Does anyone really think that there's going to be a, a uh, self-sustaining democratic rule of law in Afghanistan anytime soon? This is, and some have, some have been willing to say this, a 50 to 100 year mission. Do you want to commit to, we've already spent more money than we did in World War II on the Marshall Plan. You want to commit to spending uh, 10 times that amount? Also, how about this for a question? How much do we really care about Afghanistan? A lot of places have a lot of problems. How much do we really have to spend there? How much do we have to exert ourselves as a nation to try to fix a place that has a lot of problems, folks? And I don't just mean you know, problems of electricity and, and uh, lack of access to clean water. That, that's obviously the case, too. But a lot of cultural problems. Not not a long-standing tradition of education, of women's rights, of minority rights, of Afghanistan is a very regressive place, and that's not going to change anytime soon. And I could tell stories, and some of you who served over there in the military know exactly where, where I could go with some of the stuff that goes on over there on a regular basis. It's a country that's got problems that would, if people really knew what was going on sometimes, they would just say, we got to get everybody out of there right now. And here's what I take away from this. Trump needs to end this war. Hopefully he can do it before the end of his first term. It's not going to happen. I mean, I, I, would, I wish he could. That's not going to happen. But hopefully he'll do it before the end of his second term. He's got to end this war. Otherwise, we're just going to be in this place. We're going to have t- you know, 10 or 15,000 troops in Afghanistan forever. And forever really just means until things get so bad that we have to pull them out in extremis. And that's when things get really ugly. Hope you're all enjoying watching this on Pluto TV, channel 248. Download the Pluto TV app of the uh, Buck You can watch the Buck Sexton show on the first. That's our channel. Also, make sure you're downloading the podcast every day by 3 Eastern. It is up. iTunes, the iHeart app. Please subscribe and also give us a rating on iTunes, if you would, team. All right, team. The FISA IG report is out. It came out while we were here uh, recording the show and... I've been able to go through in the in the breaks as much as I can last half hour. So go through the uh, executive summary and and tomorrow I'm going to read the whole thing tonight. And by tomorrow we have to go through in detail. But here here's my top line. Uh, first of all, I was right. What I said at the beginning of the show that is what that is what the report more or less says. That there were errors, there was problems, you know, the FBI, a little slap on the hand for a few people there. Uh, they were sloppy, they omitted things, they basically made sure, I mean, they, they juiced the FISA warrant to get it up on, on Carter Page because they really wanted to go after Manafort, Flynn, Page, Papadopoulos. Those are the four. That's what's in the report. That was the the axis of Russia collusion right there. No, none of whom colluded with Russia, by the way. It's all, remember, keep in mind that we're not just looking at whether there was abuse of an investigation where people were guilty of the crime alleged. We're looking at abuse of an investigation where none of these people did the thing that they were being investigated for. None of them. Not one. There are a few things here that I want to note, I want to get to. Um you look at this report, and look, it's bureaucraties. 
I'm not surprised by by any of this. Um, when you look at the way that they're setting this all up, it's to make sure that they say, okay, yeah, there were mistakes, but the mistakes in the FISA application were good faith errors. I'm here to tell you that that's not true, that these FBI agents, these people involved in this process, believed a conspiracy theory, a conspiracy theory that they should have recognized as absurd, but that gained all kinds of credibility and momentum from a handful of deeply anti-Trump individuals, including Christopher Steele, and that then was laundered through the intelligence community, the intelligence process, and used to try and come up with a way to destroy the Trump presidency. That's, that is what happened here. Let me read you from, this is from the conclusions concerning all four FISA applications. We, this is from the Inspector General report, which is just out. We identified at least 17 significant errors or omissions in the Carter Page FISA applications and many additional errors in the Woods procedures. These errors and omissions resulted from case agents providing wrong or incomplete information and failing to flag important issues for discussion. While we did not find documentary or testimonial evidence of intentional misconduct, of course, on the part of the case agents who assisted the OI in preparing the applications or the agents in supervising uh, uh, agents in the performance of the Woods procedures, we also did not receive satisfactory explanations for the errors or problems we identified. In most instances, the agents and supervisors told us they either did not know or recall why the information was not shared with the OI, that the failure to do so may have been oversight, that they did not recognize at the time the relevance of the information, the FISA application, or they did not believe the information to be significant when it was missing. On this last point, we believe that case agents may have improperly substituted their own judgments in place of the judgment of OI or in place of the court to weigh the probative value of the information. They stacked the deck, folks. This is it. From from the inspector general, they stacked the deck to get this FISA warrant up. That's what happened. This is like a prosecutor who has exculpatory information against a, a, a defendant and decides uh, that they're not going to share that information. Decides that they're not going to be letting the court know that this person has information that goes to their innocence. They never should have been able to get a FISA warrant up on Carter Page. It's absurd. What have I been telling you all along? It's an embarrassment that the FBI violated his rights in this way. If they could get a FISA warrant on Carter Page, they'd get a FISA warrant on anybody. Just, you know, give, give some vagrant $5 to say, hey, you know, Joe Blow is actually a Russian spy. Let's get a FISA warrant on him. I got a confidential informant here who says so. He's like, hey, buddy, thanks. Yeah, thanks for the $5. Let's get a FISA warrant. I mean, it's ridiculous. They're going to tell you, though, that this is... There's no big problem here. Nothing to see here. Um, This is, here's more. I mean, as discussed, uh, the use of the investigative team obtained statements from Carter Page and Papadopoulos that raised questions about the validity of the allegations under investigation. 
For example, when questioned in August 2016 about other individuals who were subjects in the investigation, Page told the confidential human source that he had literally never met or said one word to Manafort and that Manafort had not responded to any of Page's emails. As another example, Papadopoulos denied to a confidential human source that anyone associated with the Trump campaign was collaborating with Russia or with outside groups like WikiLeaks in the release of emails. Papadopoulos stated that the campaign, of course, does not advocate for this type of activity because at the end of the day, it's illegal and that our campaign is not engaging or reaching out to WikiLeaks or to whoever it is to tell them to work with us uh, because we don't. No one does that. Papadopoulos also said that as far as I understand, no one's collaborating. There's been no collusion and it's going to remain that way. This is all to a confidential human source. In another interaction, Papadopoulos told the confidential human source that he knew for a fact that no one from the Trump campaign had anything to do with releasing emails from the DNC as a result of Papadopoulos' involvement with the Trump campaign. Despite the relevance of this material as described in this report, none of Papadopoulos' statements were provided by the Crossfire Hurricane team, uh, Hurricane team to the OI attorney, and Page's statements were not provided to the attorney until June 2017, approximately 10 months after the initial Carter Page FISA application was granted by the FISA Intelligence Surveillance Court. My friends, they just kept ignoring the FBI, kept ignoring exculpatory, kept ignoring contrary evidence, kept ignoring the undermining of this case, ignoring it, a case against a presidential campaign. Either the FBI is full of morons at the highest level or something's up here, folks. Something a little more than just, oh, yeah, we made some we made some mistakes. Here we go. The recommendations. Our report makes nine recommendations to the FBI and the department to assist them in addressing the issues we identified. This is from the executive summary. The department and the FBI should ensure that adequate procedures are in place to retain all relevant information, prepare FISA applications. The Department of the FBI should evaluate which types of special investigative uh, situations require advanced notification to a senior department official, address problems, uh, clarify terms, ensure appropriate training, establish a policy, office of professional responsibility review, review performance of all employees. Yep. Bureaucratic nothing. Bureaucratic nothingness. That's what they that's what they uh, come up with here. It's exactly exactly what I thought it would be, what I told it would told you it would be on this show today and many shows before it. Yeah, we just made all these mistakes were made. All these omissions, all these errors. There's so much information here, by the way, where they presented stuff to the FISA court that they had information proved was not accurate, but they just didn't think that was important. They didn't think it was important for an investigation of this degree of seriousness. And this is about a presidential election. Is it possible, my friends? I ask this question in earnest. Is it possible for an investigation to be of a greater degree of political sensitivity than this? This isn't some little investigation nobody was paying attention to that nobody high up knew about and some mistakes were made. This was the single most important case that the FBI was handling at the time, bar none. 
the single most important case, and it's just replete. It is filled with errors, and all of the errors, remember, look at the trend, all of the errors made it easier to go after Trump associates, made the conspiracy live longer than it should have, allow the usage of law enforcement tools as weapons against Trump and his people. None of the errors helped Trump. None of the errors made the investigation seem a little flimsier. No, the investigation was made to look stronger by the omissions, was made to look more reliable than it was. And we are told... Uh, We are told that this is the way it's going to be. This is just it. Nothing to see here. Oh, of course, the the lackeys in the uh, media for the FBI, only only on this case, but they usually, look, let's be honest, the left usually hates law enforcement, unless law enforcement's going after, um, law enforcement's going after uh, Trump. And then they love law enforcement, you know, and only the people that are going after Trump, of course. Here's the CNN headline right now. Start of Russia probe was justified, but had significant errors. The start of the Russia probe is only justified if you're a moron. And there are idiots. I mean, Peter Strzok is obviously not a very smart guy. Not very good OPSEC either there, Peter. Keep some of that stuff off your work device, buddy. It's only possible if you could believe an absurd conspiracy theory that never made any sense in the first place. We're going to have low-level... Trump staffers reaching out to Russia to try to get access to emails that, I mean, what? It, it, it didn't even, and who even thinks that these emails were going to be some kind of a game changer, by the way, folks? I mean, they, they don't know what was in the emails. I mean, the whole thing is, it's absurd beyond recognition. It's insane. But the FBI believe this. The FBI believe that that Papadopoulos, despite making very clear from a confidential human source that they won't identify, but we all know who it is. uh, Papadopoulos is like, no, man, campaign's not actually coordinating with WikiLeaks. Well, then why why are they investigating him? Why was this whole thing? Carter Page had helped the FBI deal with Russian spies in the past who had tried to recruit him and said he was too stupid to be worth recruiting, by the way. And they kept that information out of the... So Carter Page has already had contact with the FBI, knows he's on their radar, has worked with them specifically on the issue of Russian espionage efforts. And they're going to turn around and get a a FISA warrant on Carter Page? Do you know how much derogatory information they're able to gather on Carter Page as a result of having access to all of his phone calls, emails, everything, text messages? Zero! Carter Page did nothing wrong. No collusion. George Papadopoulos did nothing wrong, no collusion. General Flynn, nothing wrong, no collusion. And Manafort didn't pay his taxes. That's what this whole thing's about. This whole, this, the country's been dragged through this for two years. We've been made to believe that there was some grand conspiracy and the Kremlin was going to supplant the White House. And no, it was all, it was all myth, all myth by a bunch of, Uh, created by Hillary partisans and feckless bureaucrats who really think that their judgment and their power should exceed what anybody would ever want to have uh, put in their hands. Devin Nunes put out something very interesting. He tweeted right before the release of the report, the American people will finally learn that the truth, the truth that the Steele dossier 
was in fact used in Obama administration's intelligence community assessment. Obama's dossier. What if the Obama administration decided to spread around the dossier, which, by the way, this report makes clear is a complete fraud, is a joke, is ridiculous. What if the Obama administration, though, spread this all around and then everyone got convinced because it came from Obama, came from the president, the highest level, the intelligence community, the assessment. If they use this dossier as the start of their, their belief in this conspiracy, then the Obama administration is directly responsible for propagating the conspiracy. Then the reason why FBI agents could continue to believe all this stuff would be because they had been fed this from the highest level. They've always tried to keep Obama out of all of this, even though it was Obama's appointees at the very highest level that were looking at this sensitive investigative matter, SIM, they call it. They were looking at this and they weren't ever briefing President Obama on this. He had no idea. Nothing. Nobody really believes that, right? Nobody really thinks that that's what happened. You know, thinks that that's true, I hope. But they're going to do everything they can to cover up for him. They're going to do everything they can to make sure that we never find out what did Obama know and when did he know it. Think about this. I mean, I, I, I look at this report and, and my, only, uh, my conclusion is, well, and of course, I was entirely right. And essentially, it's like I've read the report without reading it because I know how these bureaucracies work because I used to work in one. They'll always protect the bureaucracy. Um, so that's true. <sighs> you know what else is apparently true? President Trump said my tweet that it's simply mind boggling that here we are heading into year four of the Trump presidency at a time of tremendous American economic prosperity and still and relative peace. And Democrats are still trying to ram the Russia Ukraine hysteria down the American people's throats. Insane. Trump tweeted out. True. Fact check. True. High five, POTUS. It's a good time to remind everybody dossier is just a fancy French term for a load of crap. And it's a big it's a big reason why respectable outlets all through 2016 would not run with a dossier. I know you wanted to, but you couldn't. And they waited until January 10th because they knew the president was having a big press conference in the atrium of Trump Tower the next day. And I tried to help out and network that night by telling one of its anchors what was true and not true in their reporting. I stand by that. It's still true, still untrue, and still true. And we'll see more of that today. But I hope that you won't just say there's nothing there. <laughs> they didn't spy. That da, da, da. There's not nothing there. And anybody, which I think includes everybody in here and their parents, who covered collusion in Russia in the Mueller investigation at any point, owes it to the country to cover this, too. And yet we all know what the media is going to say. FBI exonerated. The investigation was legitimate. If the investigation is legitimate because people can make very poor decisions and act like total morons and we're supposed to believe that it's an accident that they did this when they all hate Donald Trump, they can create an investigation of anybody. Remember, they can investigate anyone they want. They can investigate anybody they want. Um, we can't investigate anybody. I understand it can be a little bit awkward when you have to think about life insurance. You don't want to have to consider what would be unthinkable, but you have to prepare for an uncertain future and make sure that your family is safe and secure. I've gone through this process myself. It's something you need to do, and you should go to the place that makes it easy for you. No hassle. That's Ethos Life Insurance. Ethos is modern life insurance for people who just don't want to waste time with fine print extra appointments or fees they really just can't afford. 
Ethos has a simple approach. They take industry expertise and they blend it with technology so that you can find the right policy to protect your loved ones in just a matter of about 10 minutes. And you can apply online. You should check it out for yourself. You'll be taking the first steps to ensure that your family has the financial security they need in case of the unexpected. This is the responsible thing to do. Get a fast, free, and personalized quote right now at ethoslife.com. That's ethoslife.com. Life insurance that actually fits your life. So on the one hand, I am frustrated because this report is exactly what I expected and what I told you at the top of the show. And here we are in real time. The report drops. I'm on the air and we get to look over the executive summary. The executive summary tells you everything you kind of need to know about this. And I'll dig into the 490 pages or so of the whole thing tonight. Um, But the bureaucracy protects itself. They did not find that there was any any big problem here. Just some mistakes, just some errors, human error. It happens, man. You know, stuff happens. Complicated. Um, You have to wonder. What would it take for people in the FBI to think that there was a real problem? What, what would political bias look like? You know, people like Page and Strzok writing each other messages about an insurance policy if Trump would win, about how Trump supporters are smelly and Trump is a blanking this and a blanking that. And these are people involved in investigating Trump associates for the FBI. And they're that stupid. They're that reckless that they would put that on official devices that go into the official record. But we're supposed to believe that all the decisions they made, which are always anti-Trump, which always go toward assisting the investigation meant to destroy his presidency, it was always accidental. They didn't really want that to happen. It just sort of happened. They didn't really want there to be this problem. It just stuff, you know, gets in the way. Well, the good news, I do have some good news for you. This is meaningful. This is from U.S. Attorney John Durham. You might be asking, who's that guy we talked about? Oh, yes, that's right. The U.S. Attorney from Connecticut, who has been asked by the Department of Justice to look into all of this, to do his own investigation of DOJ practices here as it pertains to the whole Russia collusion mess. And here is what the office, the U.S. Attorney's Office from the District of Connecticut, the statement of U.S. Attorney John H. Durham. Durham, by the way, is a, remember this, both sides have been very clear up to this point. They're going to change their tune soon on the left. The Democrats are all going to start saying, oh, he's a terrible person. He's a liar. He's a Trump stooge. This guy's a prosecutor's prosecutor, a record, unblemished, unlike Comey and these other clowns, a record unblemished by any misconduct or politicization, he is considered a prosecutor's prosecutor, a dogged investigator, and a very, very honest man. And that's really what we are looking for here. Honest people in this process. Here is the statement from U.S. Attorney John Durham's office. I have the utmost respect for the mission of the Office of Inspector General and the comprehensive work that went into the report prepared by Mr. Horowitz and his staff. However, Our investigation is not limited to developing information from within component parts of the Justice Department. Our investigation has included developing information from other persons and entities, both in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. Based on the evidence collected to date, and while our investigation is ongoing, 
last month, we advised the inspector general that we do not agree with some of the report's conclusions as to predication and how the FBI case was opened. This is John Durham saying, okay, okay, Obama administration appointee Horowitz, by the way. Okay. Bull crap. This investigation was legitimate. Bull crap. There were not people outside, perhaps not just the DOJ, outside the United States who had a hand in creating this conspiracy theory, this false narrative that was then turned into a massive investigation. This is not over, my friends. This is not over by a long shot. Barr and Durham have been out meeting with, talking with sources all across the world, all over the globe that were involved in this process. How could a conspiracy theory get this much support, get, th- get so far that it made its way to the top of the FBI and the Department of Justice? A completely false story was used as the basis for an investigation, and we are supposed to accept that that's just fine. Think about what this means going forward for political oppo research. Oh, may all you need are some government officials to run with some conspiracy, and you can just tap the phones of your rivals. You can have their campaign staffers' emails read. You can have the entire press corps running around saying that something happened that didn't happen, and then when they're caught, just say, oh, well, look, the FBI, the DOJ, they thought it happened too. This whole thing is absolutely disgusting and disgraceful and that there is a sense right now you can tell from the russia collusion hoax uh hoax crowd that this is an exoneration for what happened no this just shows you how completely and utterly um discredited this whole process of the fisa court really is this just shows you that the fbi they, all they need is a piece of paper from someone paid to make up stuff about somebody. And they'll take that and they'll show that to a FISA court. Totally unvetted, totally unsourced. And then they'll get a warrant out on you. Think about what this means. H- how hard could it be going forward if you want to dig up dirt on somebody and do so illicitly? All you have to do is pay some foreigner who has, some, has a buddy at the FBI, and he shows up with this piece of paper. He's like, yeah, that's what a bunch of people told me. And then they take it to a court, and they say, yeah, we're going to, based on all this. You know, when I worked at the CIA, there were people sometimes who would show up, and they would say, you know, they'd show up at some, at some U.S. government installation somewhere, you know, a military base, an embassy, whatever, and they'd basically say the equivalent of, you know, Osama bin Laden is hiding under my bed. And someone somewhere would have to, you know, okay, well, we've got this tip or whatever. When I worked the NYPD, we had a tip line. You know, we had a tip line for terrorist attacks. By the way, didn't really get any particularly interesting tips. But the point is, we had a tip line there, and people, you know, would call in, and they would say that, you know, I think there's going to be a a big terrorist attack uh, from a guy who is dressed as, as Elvis, and I'm really scared, and I think he's wearing a suicide vest, and he's, you know, streaking across Met Stadium right now. And you realize that this person's, like, deranged and needs help. And they need to say this is an EDP, they'd call it, an emotionally disturbed person. But, you know, people call in. 
Would it be okay if if the NYPD was like, oh gosh, we got to look for the uh, you know the uh, Elvis impersonator suicide bomber guys? Uh, put out an put out an APB. We got to find him. We think well, what is wrong with the law enforcement? You guys are a bunch of idiots. You have no judgment. You have no sense of what's real and what's not. You're just going to fall into well, the reason. See, this is the problem. It, it's not about. Elvis, it's, it's that they hate Elvis in this analogy. That's the real problem. So they'll take this as an excuse. That's what the FBI, that's what the DOJ did. There were people that really hated Trump. There's no question. Trump calls them out. Trump calls out the establishment. He calls out the swamp. And this was an opportunity for some of those people who have built whole careers being, you know, generally frustrated in their minds, underpaid and feckless little bureaucrats. This was a chance to get even to even the score against Trump. Or to slow him down or to stop him or to prevent him from ruining the country, whatever it was. The fact, though, that the attorney general and uh, I'm sorry, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut doesn't agree that this report that this investigation was legitimate. That's the report that's going to be much more interesting to many of us is why was the report and why was the uh, investigation rather illegitimate? Because we know that it was. The whole thing's a hoax. Remember, remember, they keep treating this like it's an investigation of something that was legitimate. And because they went through a legitimate process, it doesn't matter that it's an illegitimate investigation. No, I'm sorry. This whole thing never should have happened. Never should have happened. And yet here we are being told that, oh, because they, they went through a process, they lied in the process, they omitted in the process, they made mistakes in the process, but because they went through it, everything is fine. I uh, I have to wonder, my friends, you know, how much longer we have to keep pretending that the Department of Justice and the FBI are well-functioning organisms that should be allowed to continue without massive restructuring and new oversight. Because if they can be turned into weapons of politics, then we don't really have free and fair elections. Then we, we don't have a system of, of uh, elected governance that we've been led to believe we do. We no longer have the republic because we have not been able to keep it. That's what we face if we don't actually rein in the FBI and the DOJ. Everyone needs to understand that. This is completely outrageous in that the inspector general has no harsh words. But he also had no harsh words for the Hillary email thing, which was also an outrage. This guy Horowitz is completely and utterly bereft of good judgment and fairness in this process, protecting the institution, protect the deep state, protect the swamp. That's what's happened. They couldn't run from all the facts. They had to say, yeah, there's problems here and there. Why were there all these problems? Why 17 major omissions in the Carter Page FISA? You're going to tell me it was, it was, that's just sloppiness. You're, 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 you're doing an end run on somebody's basic fourth amendment protections because, oh my gosh, national security. I mean, it's really, we've created this, this, extra legal it's technically legal but you know when people realize what this is it's just yeah we think we need to pull all your stuff because national security the fact that that isn't treated with more sensitivity that that's not viewed as a greater risk for abuse is absurd 17 errors we'll have to see i'll have to see how this uh shakes out with the durham report but they don't agree that this that this was a an investigation that even should have happened they don't agree remember that Black Rifle Coffee is celebrating its fifth anniversary. So to celebrate that, they decided to start a little something called Black Rifle Friday. Now, some of you may think, is that a fictional holiday? You know, like Valentine's Day created to sell stuff. 
The answer is yes, because Black Rifle Coffee is all about capitalism and America. You've got to get in on the coffee club, my friends. Sign up and see all the great benefits you'll get when you belong to the most patriotic coffee club in the country. Let me tell you, how do I start every day? With a delicious cup of Black Rifle Coffee. This is my coffee company. You should make it yours, too. This is where I get my morning jolt. This is where I get my afternoon pick-me-up. Black Rifle Coffee. Support a company that serves culture and coffee to those who love America. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck to get 20% off your first purchase. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 20% off your first purchase. Again, BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. So Republican uh, Representative Jim Banks sent a letter on Friday that asked Attorney General Bill Barr to enforce laws restricting the use of obscene pornography. The letter was signed by Banks, Republican North Carolina Representative Mark Meadows, Republican Missouri Representative Vicki Hartzler, a couple others, urges the Attorney General to enforce federal obscenity laws and prioritize the prosecution of pornography producers and distributors. Obscenity is not protected under the First Amendment, according to the Department of Justice, and violations of federal obscenity laws are criminal offenses. Federal law criminalizes the distribution, transportation, shipping, selling, mailing, and producing with intent to sell or distribute obscene matter. This is all from the uh, Daily Caller. And this resulted, this whole, should, should they start enforcing laws against pornography? That's what this led to over the week. A big fight among conservatives that got... I say very heated on this issue. Um, I was surprised to see some people really going after others that they generally agree with on a wide range of issues. But uh, on this, all of a sudden, there's definitely a a sense that uh, I don't know. It was uh, people were pretty intense on this one. People did not appreciate that there were that there is a good faith, a good what's the word, good faith beliefs on both sides of the conservative debate over what to do about pornography. Um, Look, I I think that this is pretty straight. Well, I shouldn't say it's pretty straightforward. I have some uh, some basic views on this. One is I think that uh, pornography is harmful, and I think that people trying to avoid it are doing themselves a service. I think that people obviously keeping their kids from being able to see this, which, you know, anybody who's 13 or 14 uh, 14 years old with an Internet connection can access this stuff. Um, I, I think that they're making the right move. I think that it does uh, desensitize people to sexuality, to sensuality. I think that it does promote um, negative uh, objectification of women. I think it also, if people look at enough pornography, I think it can start to have a damaging impact on your, I mean, on the actual, uh, the way that your brain processes certain things. So, I mean, I'm, I'm opposed to uh, pornography. And I, and I appreciate those who want to uh, crack down on it in the sense that they make it at least harder for people to stumble across. And one thing, you know, one problem that, that I think a lot of people have is, you know, even if you just do a basic search, if you look, you know, you type in Trump, you know, Trump porn ban. And you're like, uh, what's 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 Google going to, you know, you, you want to find the news story, but, you know, you don't want to see all of a sudden a bunch of. A bunch of boobies popping up on your screen, right? So you got to – this is – it's everywhere. I mean, pornography is everywhere. It's all over the internet. Um, but I do think that it's 
a laudable goal to try to limit its reach and to try. But you're going to start locking people up and putting them in prison for this. You're going to have to have a massive expansion of the state. You're going to have a lot of people that are going to go and have to fight this in court. You start to ask, okay, well, what what constitutes what constitutes specifically pornography and obscenity? And this is where you get into the First Amendment debate. We've been through this many times. Uh, you know, do people think that even things that would be aired, for example, on HBO would constitute pornography? Would you be able to watch Game of Thrones? Can that be distributed, even though there's not specifically sex acts occurring? Uh, there are simulated sex acts, and now you get to, okay, so is that... I'm just. It becomes very hard to draw clear lines about how you would... Remember, we're talking about criminalizing this, not just... Those who want to limit access, I can understand. I think that that's a good thing. I think that the social media platforms have to do a much better job uh, than they have done of making sure that people do not... You know, this doesn't pop up and they don't see the stuff that they don't want to see. I mean, it should be pretty straightforward to have better filters in place and certainly to protect kids from from seeing this stuff. But when you're talking about criminalizing the sale and distribution of this, uh, you're going to put people in prison because they're selling, you know, videos of porn star Jenna Jameson or the, you know, that's going to put them in prison for this? I, I have to say, I think that that's probably, um, well, one, it's, this, is, this is one of these conversations that I think is interesting, and it's also quite clear where it's going to go. This is not going to happen. Um, but it does raise a broader, meaning they're not, going, they're not going to start cracking down on people for selling pornogra- uh, pornographic videos and things that are you know, between consenting adults. Obviously, we have very strict laws, and we should, about any pornography that uh, is objectifying or threatening or, or involving people who are underage in any way. And those are uh, enforced rigorously, and the penalties for those are severe and understandably so. But we're talking about people who are of age or engaging in sex acts as a commercial enterprise. I mean, you know, who, who are we going to... You're going to lock up the people distributing the video, the people making the video, the people engaged in the sex act itself. I just... You know, everyone has their... Everyone that I've seen debating this in, cons- in conservative realm... I'm just talking about conservatives. Never mind. Liberals are generally like, yeah, porn's fine. They don't care. It doesn't, it doesn't bother them for whatever reason. Uh, but on the conservative side of things, I never see a uniformity of where the lines are drawn and how, how severely punished people should really be and uh, what that would mean going forward. And also, you're never going to eliminate the masses of pornography that people have already downloaded for their own private use. And it's just it's just not going to happen. But this was a big debate over the weekend. Everyone's, oh, we're going to ban porn. we got to ban pornography. This state exists to promote the common good, and this is an issue of the common good. And uh, like I said, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that. I do, think, uh, I do think that it's a good idea, even for, for adult males, just, just ban pornography from your own life. Just stay away from it. Don't look at it. Don't, uh, don't make it a part of what you do and uh, what you spend your time on, because it is uh, it is damaging to even, I think, generally well-adjusted people's views of sexuality and women, especially over time. And with a um, so, you know, I, I advocate, you know, in, impose your own a, a self-imposed ban on pornography for adults. If there are ways to work with the social media platform so that kids have less access to this stuff, less easy access to it, I totally appreciate and respect that. I think that's a good idea. But uh, I don't think anybody's going to start throwing people in prison anytime soon for selling adult videos. When there are adult channels you can buy 
and with major cable providers right now. When I started a news business in my company, I hired somebody outside. Their job is to run the news organization. Their job is to set the ethics. Um, I think people have said to me, how can you investigate yourself? And I said, I don't think you can. Mm-hmm. But if you take a look at the Bloomberg News Organization, we carry news from uh, lots of different mm-hmm. places like New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post. There's plenty of ways for people to get news about the candidates if they look at Bloomberg News. But even your own uh, news reporters have complained. They think it's unfair that they're not allowed to investigate other Democratic candidates because their boss is in the race. You just have to learn to live with some things. They get a paycheck. But with with your paycheck comes some restrictions and responsibilities. Bloomberg's basically like, look, journalism, schmernalism. I pay their bills. They're going to do what I say. I here, here's maybe a slightly unpopular take on this. I prefer this approach. I'm not saying I think that Bloomberg's decision is right, but I would just rather everybody understand that the guys who are writing the checks for all these journalists, they can tell them what to do. Very rarely do you see a journalist who is willing to risk their you know two hundred thousand dollar a year job at Bloomberg, uh, you know the Bloomberg editorial desk or whatever, so that they can be true and honest and. You know, all that stuff to their journalistic ethics. Very rarely. Very rarely. Now, people, you know, look, and I get it. I get it. You know, Papa Buck needs a new pair of shoes, too, man. I mean, people got to do what they got to do to pay the mortgage. But let's just all be honest about it. You know, this is why I tell you things like um, I don't I don't criticize friends on my show because my friendships matter to me more than the day-to-day news cycle of, you know, there are, of course, exceptions, right? If somebody that I'm friendly with is all of a sudden, you know, in ill repute for something they've done, and it's a big news story, but I I don't get into the spat, you know, the back and forth with people that I'm friendly with because I disagree with them on something. But I tell you that so that you know it. You don't have to send me messages. Hey, Buck, why aren't you... Why aren't you, uh, you know, out there trashing somebody who says that they think that Trump is going to, you know, Trump is a dictator or something? And if you know that I'm friendly with that person, then you probably know why. Uh, I, I prefer that honesty. I remember years ago when uh, Tucker Carlson was, I think he still is with the, in the Daily Caller in some capacity, but he was editor-in-chief of the Daily Caller. And I remember when somebody got really, people got all mad at him because he said that he tells his employees that he works for Fox News. He's the editor-in-chief. You can't trash Fox News. But he's, that wasn't a hidden, that was an open policy. And all these journalists are, oh, that's terrible. Again, no, that's, the, the, I, I agree with that approach. That's just reality. Would journalists who write for the Washington Post trash Jeff Bezos? Come on. Let's all be adults. Let's all be honest about this. So uh, I just think it's kind of funny that everyone's also... And the, the problem I have with what Bloomberg is doing is he's, you know, he's not just saying you can't criticize me because I'm your boss. He's saying, well, you can't go after Democrats, but you can go after Republicans, Republicans but we're still a journalistic enterprise, neutral, nonpartisan. It's, it's a lie. Bloomberg is a lib. The people that work for him are libs. The enterprise you know, of Bloomberg News is liberal dominated. And this is just we should just have honesty in this. It would be better for everybody. It would be better for everybody involved in this. And I, I would I prefer it if we were just we could expect that we would be told what's really going on here instead of having to always just say, oh, but what about, you know, 
What about the fact that we have in journalism schools, people are taught to be, no, it's all crap. It's all nonsense. All right. They're, they're activists. They're partisans. Bloomberg is full of partisans. And Mayor Bloomberg telling everybody what he really thinks about all these different things. So there you have it. Let's get to uh, producer Brandon. Let's get to roll call because I miss the team. I want to hear from them. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Roll call, everybody. Let's get to it, shall we? Uh, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to be in on the action. And uh, you can also send it to Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And please, please, team, keep spreading the word about the show. We need more and more folks to listen to the podcast. That would be fantastic. And you grow that audience. Uh, James writes in first. Longtime fan and listener from the Shaggin' Wagon days, which is a reference to the Buckster on Red Eye in the early days of Bucktopia. When Senate goes to impeachment trial, if this whistleblower anonymity is still running, why can't Republicans just subpoena bureaucrat Eric Sharamellas and pretend they don't know he's the guy, just another witness like those Ukraine diplomats who testified at Schiff's show trial? James in California. Uh, James, I think they can. I think they should. I think that that is what should happen, that we should we should see what this guy's phone records are. Yeah, that's right. We can use the process, too. Let's see if he talked to Adam Schiff before the report came out. Who wants to guess that he did? Um, here we go. We have Paul who writes, Buck, if you know of a great author working on a good book on socialism, here's something that might uh, reestablish that burning focus and passion. The deep state runs deep, but to stop it, you have to go to and understand the mindset of a central authority at the very top. Uh, okay. Someday you may be in California. You can buy me a beer and thank me. I might even buy you one and tell you a fishing story that goes back to the Battle of the Bulge. Until then, you got my email. Paul. Paul! Shield time, man. Thanks for writing in. Appreciate it. Lowell. Buck, as you build out the first, the best channel on Pluto TV, channel 248, ho! Please look at the short clips that Black Rifle go- uh, Coffee Guys put out. Black Rifle clips are so funny and slam the walls of political correctness. Also, I really like your mix of intellect while holding the middle ground. Producer Brandon is a gentler look at things. And also, <laughs> a little, you know, you're a little less salty than Producer Mark, you know. Producer Mark is a little bit of like the ombudsman. He's like, Buck, settle down. You know, you're a little more like, hey, man, I'm just here to help. I'm just here to get it done, you know. Um, I also like turkey year-round and strawberry ice cream. Well, no, that's just crazy. That's just unacceptable. I like this guy. Yeah, I like this guy too. Producer Mark, I like Producer Mark's honesty. He tends to not care what people think. Keep up the great work in the hut, Lowell. Well, thank you, Lowell. Thanks for writing in, man. And the good news is Producer Mark isn't thinking about us at all. Right now, he's probably he's probably got like uh, some serious, you know, like tan lines from the shirt, you know, or I don't know if he's wearing a tank top or whatever, but he's he's been in Jamaica over a week. He probably scorched. Too long. Too long. Yeah, he's been he's been gone doing his thing. Cat. Buck, I've been enjoying your show via podcast for some time, but this week I tried out Pluto TV um, on my Oculus Quest virtual reality headset. That sounds super fancy. Pluto doesn't make it obvious on their website this is an option. In fact, when you try to create an account that's not one of the devices listed, but it does work quite well. 
The Buck Sexton Show was my impetus for trying it out, and I'm glad I did. It's a fun way to get my political news fix, and I enjoyed seeing the famous beard at last. Indeed. Although Brandon's beard is... Brandon's beard is like out of the show Vikings or something. You know, my beard is a little more like Peaky Blinders. Like, I could be one of the young, up-and-coming thugs from Peaky Blinders that lives in Birmingham. I got to keep it trim, though, because otherwise I look like a rabbi, and that's just not the look I'm going for. Fair enough. Just being honest. By the way, do take the plunge and go ahead and cut the cord. I did it 20 years ago, and when I married my now 84-year-old husband 13 years ago, I persuaded him to do it. We can't get any shows. We can get any shows we want over the net, uh, and it's great. Cheers, Cat. Cat, thank you so much. That's cool about the Oculus thing, by the way. I did not know about that. Craig and Tanya writing in together. Team Craig Tanya. Buck, thanks for plugging Master and Commander today. Fantastic movie that captured a really fantastic series by Patrick O'Brien. If you haven't read it, you really must. It's written in the style of 19th century novels with period dialogue and a lot of nautical vocabulary. So it takes a while to adjust to, but worth the effort. Aim for the waterline, Craig. Well, Craig, I'm so glad you enjoyed it, man. Master and Commander is a great movie. Whenever I tell you guys, go home this weekend and watch a movie, I'm always telling you something that's amazing. That's a great movie um, that I you know, speak very highly of because I'm right. Marina, it's so nice to have producer Brandon back. I didn't realize how much I missed his voice, humor, and laugh. Wow. Producer Brandon, huh? That made me feel good. Yeah. Thank you. Marina is writing into producer Brandon. I appreciate that. I always, I'm very cautious of... You know, I don't know about you when you listen to other radio shows, but laughs, because sometimes a laugh is a real turnoff, especially if they laugh at their own jokes. Oh, yeah. No, and some people have a really annoying laugh. It can be a, it can be a problem. Oh, yeah. So You know, even in the uh, single man dating world, I can tell you that, you know, if you have somebody who's having things go on all of a sudden, she's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you really. Like, like the, uh, it's like, that laugh is not, that laugh is not good. That's going to be a problem because then you don't want to make them laugh. And so then all of my funniness or humor, a better way of saying funniness, a more correct way, uh, then, it, then it gets suppressed because I don't want them to make the horrible laugh sound anymore. Mm. I've, have you ever been around a really bad laugher? Oh, yeah. Because there's also contagious laughers. Like there are people that, that they, their laugh is so fun and kind of, you know, that you kind of want to laugh too. And, you know, but there's also, there's also bad laughers. The loud laughers when you're just out in public and you kind of get embarrassed. Mm. Yeah. 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 See, oh, this... I've also been to events where there's somebody who's got just like a crazy hyena laugh and, and they laugh a lot. And it's like, you need to settle down with that crazy hyena laugh. That's not a good thing. <laughs> Dennis writes in, Buck, you have me cracking up with something about Mary reference. What other classic comedy movies would not be PC in today's era? Oh, man, dude. You couldn't get away with Aladdin, the animated film today, without people freaking out. No way. You couldn't make that movie. You couldn't. Every Robin Williams movie you have probably ever seen that is, that is a comedy. I mean, not Goodwill Hunting, but, you know, that's a comedy. I'm sure he does an accent that's, you know, not a, you know, not a, a Caucasian, you know, white person's accent on something. Some person from somewhere else around the world, some, you know, non-white accent. I mean, that, he would be in trouble. There's no way he'd be allowed to do that anymore. I think all the great comedies of all time. Think about all the Mel Brooks movies. You think Blazing Saddles could be put out today? No. No? No way. It's awful. I mean, even probably, uh, you know, Airplane. I mean, you think about some of the the true classics. All the Naked Gun movies. 
All yeah, the no, naked look, li- Liberals, I mean, wokeness has killed comedy. It really has. I mean, you're not allowed to be funny anymore. Nothing's allowed to be funny anymore. Everything is about intersectionality and oppression and, oh, you know, this group and that group. Ugh. Um, Dennis also writes, by the way, I've never had audio issues. Audio problems are a sham like this impeachment. Yeah, Dennis, shield's high. I like it. Dennis is like, people need to stop pretending. There's all these audio. I'm, just, I'm sure people do have audio issues, but I don't know what we can do to fix it. Roy writes, I'm a few days behind the podcast, but I just heard you talking about playing Goldeneye on Nintendo 64 and wrecking everyone as odd job. <laughs> playing as odd job is cheating. Everybody's getting on me because I used to play with odd job. Look, odd job's a person too in this video game, all right? Let's not negate him. He's so short that the game's targeting system doesn't register him and bullets fly over his head. Love the show, but if you want to brag about your GoldenEye skills, you've got to use regular characters. This is like the third email I've gotten about this, by the way. Look, just because I would wreck all of you fools in GoldenEye Nintendo 64, wreck, doesn't mean that you know you get to write in and call out Oddjob, all right? Damn it. Well, that game was amazing, though, back in the day. It really was. Taylor writes, hey, Buck, I love your show. Listen to it daily now, either on the way home or at work or at the gym. I heard about the Intel committee and AT&T phone record subject. Maybe you should try looking at who's on the board of directors at AT&T first and start from there. It seems like somebody at the top may have just approved it as a favor. That company likes to look good for donations to different groups to not look bad in the public eye. I'd start poking around at the top and see where it came from. Well, Taylor, that all sounds like a good idea. I just don't know how much time I really have to uh, dig into all of that. So we will have to see. Uh, but thank you, though. It's a, it's a valid point. I'm just, there's only so many tasks I can get producer Brandon here before, you know. What is, by the way, what is your preferred, like, like, on the weekend, what is your, my happy place is in my pajamas, on my couch, about to watch something good on Netflix, with some form of, you know, international takeout food, like Thai or Vietnamese or something like that, you know, that's my happy place. What's you, your hap- what is your happy place? You're close to it, but instead of uh, international food, it would probably would be like cookies and milk. Yeah. Again, I'm a 10-year-old. Chocolate chip cookies are the best. Yeah. Though, right? No, as soon as I get home. You're not like an oatmeal raisin person, right? Because those people need to be locked no, up. No, what am I, communist? No, no, yeah. no, no. No, that's crazy. The worst is when you grab... Uh, a cookie that's not labeled, thinking it's chocolate chip, and you take that first bite, and it's oatmeal raisin. That I is, know. I feel like you've. I feel like your mouth has been defrauded. Like just, I want to call the FBI on that fake chocolate chip cookie. You just want to go home at that point. I'm totally with you. It's crazy. Ken writes, Buck, OSS, and U.S. Air Force fighter pilot here, vet. Love the show and all you do for our country and for veterans. Two constructive criticisms with you about the audio. Same thing with uh, it's the uh, podcast, AirPods, roll call music. But I haven't noticed it since producer Mark has been on his honeymoon. <laughs> producer Brandon rocks and seems less arrogant than Mark. Shields high. Oh, no. We have a producer feud in the mix. Oh, no. What's going to happen? He's, he's on vacation. Quarterback controversy. I mean, I'm just, I, you know, I know it's like the backup is, is putting up some good numbers on the board. What are we going to do here, folks? <laughs> oh, no. Producer Brandon is Tom Brady, and uh, Mark is uh, who, who, who was, he was a great quarterback. That you, he was, was it uh, Bledsoe? Oh, behind, yeah, or? Drew. Look at you. Mr. I kind of know sports. I kind of know some sports stuff sometimes. You know, Drew Bledsoe turned down uh, Dan Marino's position, a role, I should say, in Ace Ventura. Really? Think of that. What that would have done for him in his career. I don't know why he would turn. That's a great. He thought it was stupid. 
Oh man, I mean that was when that was when Jim Carrey was actually funny and at the, really at the height of his powers. Dude, Ace Ventura is an incredible. Oh, by the way, movies you could never make today. Ace Ventura, <laughs> there would be riots in the streets. Yeah, with the whole um, Captain Winky. Ta- yeah, that. the the character with the yeah, all that stuff going. You would never be able to make that. Mo- all the fun, Dumb and Dumber. You'd never be able to make that movie anymore. <sighs> No way. How sad. Doesn't he give like a like a dead parakeet to a blind girl or something? Right? Like I took care of it. Yeah, you'd never be able to do this. You're anyway. Right. But I still I still think the one that would be considered the most offensive of the great comedies is there's something about Mary. Although, you know, I could pull I could pull apart you could do like Mystery Science Theater, you know, two thousand or five thousand. Three thousand. Three thousand. Whatever, yeah. You could do that, but like with wokeness and just be like, Oh, this is terrible. Look what they're doing to this, you know, the, you know that I don't know if that would be funny or not, but it'd be a thing to do. All right. Well, it was a good day for producer Brandon today. Producer Mark, you better get back soon. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, you all team. Shields high. When do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's in? Well, you can ask John, whose blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose blink camera caught a thief stealing packages. Both times, blink video clips were sent to police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on two lithium batteries that last up to two years. And when you're away, Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check in on kids and pets from anywhere using your Blink smartphone app. No contracts, totally affordable. In fact, Blink systems start at just $79.99. Thanks to Blink, home security just got easier. Visit BlinkProtect.com slash buck. BlinkProtect.com slash buck. Again, home security made so simple. BlinkProtect.com slash buck. Also available on Amazon and at Best Buy. Blink is an Amazon company and it works with Alexa. Alexa.